Renewable fuel is nothing new. More than two decades of innovation in renewables power every drop of Neste Mine, the first of its kind to be top-tier certified, reducing GHG emissions with a fuel made from 100% renewable raw materials. So if you're ready for a way forward, we'll lead the way. Run on Neste Mai Renewable Diesel. Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is the place at Freightways where we talk about oil and diesel with the knowledge that you need to drill to get oil, and without it, you don't get diesel. That's why we call the podcast Drilling Deep. We want to thank Neste once again for sponsoring Drilling Deep in the coming weeks. Neste is a major supplier of renewable diesel in the U.S. through its Neste My product. It's also a supplier elsewhere in the world, and we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. Speaking of diesel, which we always do right now, we want to note that there are things going on in the diesel market and the oil market beyond the price of crude oil and oil products that are rising that are arising from the past couple of weeks because of the events in the Middle East. We're not going to predict what's going to happen on that level. I have about as much idea on that as the next guy, and the next guy isn't all that smart. So let's instead talk about refinery operations and spreads and what all this might mean for diesel. Not all that long ago, putting crude oil through a refinery and making diesel was an incredibly profitable activity. There is a basic measurement in oil called the 3-2-1 spread. You get it by taking the price of crude, whether it's Brent or WTI, and multiplying that number by 3. You take that figure and you subtract it from a combination, a combination number that you get by taking the price of gasoline futures, known as RBOB, and multiplying that by 2 and after you convert it to barrels, and then you add the futures price of diesel, convert that to barrels, and that gives you the number that you subtract the crude price times three from. That's known as the 321. Three barrels of crude, producing two barrels of gasoline and one barrel of diesel. Refineries are far more, far more complex than that, but the 321 is available at any time. All you need to do is check the data on the CME Commodity Exchange, so it's incredibly transparent and gives a very basic overview of refinery margins. The 321 using Brent crude was over $35, excuse me, over $30 per barrel for a few days in mid-September. That's a very healthy number. It's also nothing. It was over $35 per barrel for most of May, June, July, and August, and it got above $40 per barrel many times. You're going to see the results of that strength in the coming days. When publicly traded refiners like Marathon or Phillips 66 report what will surely be fabulous earnings. But now the 321 for Brent has dropped to about $18 per barrel. Most of that decline is because gasoline has become so weak relative to crude. By some measures, taking crude and turning it into gasoline is a money-losing proposition. But that isn't the only thing that's weakened relative to Brent. Diesel is weaker too, though not by the huge amount that gasoline is. Converting the diesel future price on CME to barrels and then subtracting the Brent price was consistently above $45 per barrel for much of September. It's less than that now, closer to $40. On a per gallon basis, it's been less than a dollar recently, 
where it had been uh, where it had been well above a dollar for weeks on end. The spread, that spread is not just some trader thing. It makes its way into wholesale prices, and that, of course, makes its way, eventually, into retail prices. The weakening is happening at an odd time. Refinery runs have been down because of maintenance, as expected. This is the time of year you do a lot of refinery maintenance. The latest U.S. data shows that refineries last week ran at just 86.1% of capacity, which is to be expected because it's maintenance season, but those numbers were consistently well above 90% in August. The When you get refinery runs going down, that could often lift the price of gasoline and diesel relative to crude, but clearly that hasn't happened this time around. The concern here is that the weak refining margins that are spelled out in the 3-2-1 decline that I talked about could result in some refineries not bringing back as much capacity online as they would have a few weeks ago when they're done with their maintenance. Back in August, when margins were super strong, the prospect of missing out on some of those profits because of maintenance was probably driving refinery managers crazy. But they had no choice. When you schedule refinery maintenance, well, you need to get it done. Now, maybe it isn't so great out there in the refining sector. Gasoline relative to crude has popped back in the last couple of days of trading. Diesel consumers should actually hope that continues because maybe maybe it will lift those margins back from the low levels I cited in the 321 and incentivize refineries to come back on strong after maintenance is complete. That would be the best news for diesel consumers. If gasoline prices rise, diesel stays steady relative to crude and runs increase. Fingers crossed. This message comes from Neste My Renewable Diesel, approved by leading manufacturers and the first fuel of its kind to be top-tier certified, made from 100% renewable raw materials. Make the switch by visiting nestemy.com. We're going to move on here now on Drilling Deep. Matt Luke is our guest today. He is the Technical Manager of Renewable Road Transportation at Neste. Their product is Neste Mai. It's renewable diesel. They are the biggest supplier of renewable diesel to the U.S. While Neste is a Finnish company, as I said, they are number one in the U.S. sales of renewable diesel, which has become a significant part of the market. So, Matt, welcome to Drilling Deep. Thanks for having me. Ready to, ready to have a nice chat. All right. So let's start by defining renewable diesel specifically. I mean, you can re- you can define it, but also tell us, how is it different than biodiesel? Sure. So <clears throat> renewable diesel is diesel fuel, right? It's hydrocarbons, just like what you're buying at the pump today. We're just making it from renewable sources. We could talk some more about that in a bit. <clears throat> now, you mentioned biodiesel as well. Biodiesel and renewable diesel are both made from those same um, you know, carbon neutral or low carbon sources. But in the technology, the production process, there's, there's a big fork in the road. Um, so we're making hydrocarbons that are a complete drop-in replacement for fossil diesel, up to 100%, no limits. Whereas a biodiesel, it's a bit of a different molecule, and that's why you have those B5 or B20 limits, depending on on what equipment you're using. Is Neste in the biodiesel business too, or have you decided as long as you're going to have raw materials, you're going to go top, you know, really top shelf and go with renewable diesel? Yeah, we're just on the renewable side. We don't do any biodiesel. Um, we also don't even blend with bio. So you're not going to see Neste sell a, a B5, R95 or anything like that. It's just R100, just straight out of the refinery. Okay. Now, before we get into the economics of it, let's talk about the technical advantages of bio, of renewable diesel. There's really two. 
Number one is their their emissions are way, way uh, lower than petroleum diesel. And the other is that there are some definite advantages to running a truck diesel or a diesel engine on renewable diesel. Why don't you talk about both those aspects? Yeah. So big picture from like a global carbon footprint standpoint, because we're using those renewable feedstocks, we're going to lower customers' carbon footprint by up to 75% because we're not using crude oil and petroleum. Um, so that's going to give you kind of this big clean overall picture. Now you put, start putting it into a truck and you're going to see some tangible physical benefits as well. Um, the fuel looks like water. I, mean, I, sh- I should have a jar here, but it kind of looks like what's in my water bottle right here. And it smells like water too. It doesn't have those aromatic molecules. It just feels like a diesel fuel. Now it's really clean. So we're not going to start encouraging like injector deposits, things like that. Uh, we've actually gotten top tier certified with our fuel which means we really minimize engine deposit formation, but we don't even have to use detergents and additives to do that. That's just how clean it is from the refinery. Um, and then the other biggest things people notice are because it has such clean combustion, there's much less soot, less, much less particulate matter being produced. That's going to affect maintenance on EGR valves, EGR coolers, the DPF system, especially because now you're putting a lot less soot into the DPF. You can start extending those region intervals and, and, not build up ash and all the other stuff that goes along with that system that most people are annoyed with already. Right. Now, now, renewable diesel, in terms of the market, is kind of a very odd duck. From what I understand, if I had a truck and I pulled up to a diesel uh, a diesel terminal or diesel re- retail outlet in California, my chances of getting renewable diesel through that nozzle are about 9 in 10. Maybe you can, you can uh, clarify me on that. Whereas if I pulled up in Virginia... It's probably closer to zero to ten or one in ten, if not at all, and 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 that's that's a dichotomy created by the low carbon fuel standard in California. So why don't you first talk about those odds that I gave? Did, did those sound right to you? Um, a little high. I think last year the stat was of all diesel gallons consumed in California, about fifty percent of those were renewable diesel molecules. And you get the Neste brand. We push. We want people to know our name when they buy renewable diesel. But if you just go to any fuel station out there, you do have about 50-50 odds of having those renewable molecules, even just with the fossil, just by nature of how fuel markets work. Um, <clears throat> a lot of that fuel is pulled to California because of those low-carbon programs. So, you know, our our cost of production is much higher than a fossil pr- producer, right? Because our feedstocks can be way more expensive than it cost. So those credits... Um, they're kind of traded between companies, not individual users. That helps us reduce our cost. So we can sell into a market like California at near parity with fossil diesel, right? Without a huge premium. But then, like you said, you mentioned Virginia and just East Coast, Central, whatever other part of the country, when those programs don't exist, then the cost goes up. So it, it could be cost prohibitive to to get the fuel there and the customer is not going to want to pay for it. So until those states put programs in place, it's pretty much going to stay on the West Coast where it's focused right now. Well, let's, let's clarify something uh, really right down to the retail level. Does Neste have its own branded pumps in California? We do have some. Um, we have a network of card locks, mostly in California, some Oregon, but we've got 28, I believe, right now, with a goal to double or triple that next year. Um, so yes, that, that would be like a, a business-to-business fueling solution. Um, but we also have a network of distributors, what we call channel partners that you can see on our website and go directly to those guys to, to buy our branded gallons. All right. Now let's talk about the low carbon fuel standard, because as you just acknowledged, you know, without the, the credit from the LCFS, renewable deal is going to have kind of a tough road to hold, a tough road to, 
to, to handle. Uh, that's not unique among renewable fuels. It's really the same way for wind power or solar power or anything else. Um, I've been dealing with the LCFS for probably 10 plus years. I made a few trips out to California for my prior employer to talk to people about the LCFS when it was, you know, just a, it, was, it, it wasn't an idea, but it was, it really didn't have much bite to it. I think the cost of an LCFS credit back then when I went and visited California was like a dollar a credit. And I don't know what it is now, but it's been as high as almost $200 a credit. Um, it works by incentivizing the consumption, or I guess the sale of something like renewable diesel, because as you do that, as you sell it, you generate credits, which you can then sell. That's really it in a nutshell, correct? Yeah. Um, you know, California's goal over time is to start reducing the statewide emissions. So there's this you know, on a graph, like just a downward sloping line of what they want the number to be. And as a fuel producer, if you're above the line, you're in a credit deficit. You, have, you would have to go purchase some credits from someone who is below the line just to bring it all equal, right? And the line is based on that, those carbon intensity scores, like how much greenhouse gas emissions reduction you're doing. So with renewable diesel, if you're reducing by up to 75%, you can, you can generate a lot of credits, which one, helps us run our business better and more efficiently, but also helps some of those other guys, the more fossil-focused people, helps them be able to stay in business because they can now use those credits from us to, to get below that, that demand or that goal line. That technical, the term of the word technical is in your job description, which makes it sound like maybe you're just a technician. Uh, but what you do a lot of is trying to persuade people to use this. Uh, in California, is it an easy sell just because of the LCFS credits? Or does the difficulty of your job sort of rise and fall with the, the movement in the price of those credits, which from what I know is it's a fairly volatile market? Yeah, it, like you mentioned, they, they bumped up on 200 last year at one point. Um, a lot of what I do is education. Um, my background, I was an engineer at Cummins for quite a while and then was in the equipment industry doing some commercial things and went back to Nest or what came to Neste in 2017 at this point. Um, I do a lot of education. Part of it is like the first thing that you mentioned that you asked, what is the difference between renewable diesel and biodiesel? Some people just haven't been exposed to renewable, so they don't even know the difference. Um, you know, beyond that, there's a lot of questions about the really technical nuts and bolts, what it does inside an engine, how it combusts, that sort of thing. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the hardest question we get is, you know, we may do a presentation for someone, they raise their hand and be like, this all sounds great. What's the catch? Right. And we have to explain to them, if you get it, there is no catch. It's just that everyone's trying to make more and more and more and build these refineries. It's just demand is way, way outstripping supply. So not everyone can get their hands on it right now is the tough part. Yeah. I mean, the catch, the catch is in the LCFS credit. It's, it's really a, it's, it's like an externality. There, there is a catch in the sense that there is another factor in the transaction that you would not normally find in other transactions, but it's very clear what that is. Yeah. I mean, to, a, to a consumer, you know, it's very transparent. You know, the, the credits are more company to company side. So just the consumer out there buying the fuel, they're not going to notice the difference of whether the LCFS, LCFS price is up or down that day. They're just going to say, Hey, I'm, I'm buying this at pretty close to what the fossil diesel is right down the street, and the business is handling the other side of this for me. Right now, um, it, it, so back to the question about the pumps. So, um, if I'm filling up with diesel uh, in California, it's very possible that I'm, I'm getting a stream of liquid, and some of those molecules might be from petroleum as its uh, raw material, and uh, other parts of other molecules in the stream could be made from from vegetable grease or you know vegetable oils. Is that correct? Yeah. 
And because the fuel is fully fungible with no blend limits, you know, it doesn't matter if you had a tank full of petroleum diesel one day and you want to top it off completely with renewable the next day or go back and forth, it's, it's going to work the same. So yeah, a consumer would not really know from the, from the pump sense, right? Okay. So then given that, when you go out to kind of sell people in California or anywhere, really, but let's, let's stick with California for now, on the idea of renewable diesel, uh, who do you have to persuade? Because if, if, I'm a, if, if I'm a truck owner and I pull up to a retail outlet, okay, and as, as you just said, I could get a stream of diesel that's part renewable and, and part petroleum-based. I, I have no choice in it. So who do you sell to? When I say sell, I don't necessarily mean a sale of a transaction. Your, your powers of persuasion, who do you bring those to? You know, I think our biggest focus is not the people who want the blends and the other stuff. We want a customer who wants pure renewable diesel. We want them to understand the benefits that it brings every step of the way and realize all the benefits. Because if you're running a 50-50 blend of something, you're only getting 50% of the benefit, right? So that's why we carry our branded Neste My product to the market so that we can get that exact group of customers. And depending on the day of the week, some days we have to sell a sustainability manager who needs, needs to meet uh, an emissions reduction goal. Some days those guys are totally on board and we have to actually sell the guys in the shop and you know, the, the fleet maintenance manager and those guys because we don't want them to think that we're going to cause problems with their fleets and cause downtime and stuff. So it really, any, at any company, any given day, you never know who we're going to need to talk to because everyone does have a say in the, in the final thing. All right. Now let's also note that Oregon has an LCFS uh, program, I believe, and Washington is, I don't know if it's in place or it's coming, Correct. Yeah, Oregon, um, their clean fuels program is in place. Um, Washington's is getting, we say, getting up and running right now. Um, you know, the credit value needs to come up a little to pull that fuel out of California. But yeah, we've, we've basically got a, a corridor on the West Coast, California, Oregon, Washington, and even British Columbia and spots in Canada. So it, it's, it's moving for sure. All right. So let's say you exit the Golden State and you sit down with somebody in another state uh, to try to persuade them to use renewable diesel. And there is no benefit. There's no LCFS credit benefit. Um, do you even bother at this point, or are you just simply saying, you know, the, the West Coast has such so many opportunities because of the LCFS program? You know, why try to uh, persuade other people in other parts of the country to do it? Let's just focus in on the West Coast. Or are you expanding those marketing and and, and technical know-how mar- uh, uh, capabilities? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely looking off the East Coast or off the West Coast. So the East Coast. New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, that area, we expect them to have a similar carbon program in place in the next few years. And so the, with that knowledge out there, there is demand already. We're getting phone calls from you know, groups of private companies up there saying, bring us this fuel. And you kind of tying back to the LCFS credit, if those credits were priced at $200 per ton, like they did at one point, to take the fuel out of California, that's a, a pretty big cost increase for that East Coast consumer. But as the LCFS credit price falls in California, the impact to that East Coast consumer will also go down as well because the, the producer's opportunity cost is falling. So with credits right now being fifty or sixty dollars, that impact on the East Coast is not nearly as bad as it used to be. So those guys are saying, you know, I'm willing to pay that premium, whether it's for the green benefits, the GHG reduction, the maintenance reduction, all the other stuff. I mean, a lot of companies have, you know, they 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 set themselves with goals like you know net zero emissions by such and such a year. Uh, they've got ESG principles and standards they want to meet. So you can see where renewable diesel could help them get there. I guess my biggest concern here is if I'm on the East Coast and I'm a sustainability manager or I'm an ES man- ESG manager or something along those lines, 
Um, I need to know that I am consuming renewable diesel. Okay, so if I go to, to the earlier point about that, that, that stream of liquid that can be petroleum and renewable diesel, I, I don't know what what I'm getting. I don't know if it's helping me meet my sustainability goals. So if I'm if if I'm on the East Coast and there's no specific renewable diesel pump that says you know my 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 diesel by nest here my nest day, um, how do you help them? I mean that, that's one thing that we do bring to the table. We bring that solid chain of custody from the time we start with a feedstock until the fuel touches a customer with no blending. Um, we, we make sure that 100 is that product. You know, if you're not coming to a brand that is making that promise, that's when you get into those concerns of what am I actually getting? Can they really document how much of this gallon is renewable versus fossil? Um, whereas we have systems in place to, you know, not only say it's 100% renewable, but, you know, it was used or made with these feedstocks and it may have this carbon intensity score one month and this carbon intensity score the next month because we're so detailed in our chain of custody and how we track the product. So if I'm running a, a terminal, let's say, let's say I've got a depot, I've got a fleet of trucks that do something, you know, fairly local deliveries. Uh, can you provide them with a, with a Neste only fuel supply? Yeah, that's something we're working on right now. Um, we t- we're securing and locking in our, our terminal position up in the New York, New Jersey area. So fairly soon, I would say in the next couple of months, you'll be able to get branded pure Neste My renewable diesel up in the, the New York region. Yeah. Right, because I would guess that's absolutely essential if you're going to sell the idea to an East Coast sustainability manager who, right. who are not going to not going to get any benefit from LCFS credits. Exactly. Yeah, they need to know that every molecule is renewable, and then the details behind that molecule also. Yeah, I mean it's 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 crazy how you know the 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 the, the geographic hit of the LCFS credits. I still remember years ago uh, uh, doing a story at uh, my prior employer where a company was taking. Uh, methane gas off of a landfill, and at the same time they were setting up a station, uh, stations dispensing natural gas for natural gas fuel vehicles. And it was okay under the LCFS credit that you could say, okay, I took I extracted natural gas from a landfill in Texas, okay, but I'm selling natural gas in California, even though it's obviously not the same molecules. As long as you could show you were doing both at the same time, you would get the LCFS credits. It's it's complicated, yeah. isn't it? On the natural gas side, they get to play by some different rules. You know, they can do exactly what you're talking about. We call it mass balancing. Um, it's kind of a paperwork exercise at, at the end of the day. I can imagine. Um, th- that's not how it's working on the renewable diesel side. You know, where we can't go blend everything in the pipeline and just kind of, you know, on paper split molecules later. Like we need to actually deliver the, the physical gallons and document that every step of the way. Let's talk about the state of feedstocks because your feedstocks are a variety of things. They can be from crushed soybeans. They can be um, restaurant grease. I know I saw a story yesterday about some new uh, theft of restaurant grease. And when I see that, I think two things. A, it's bad to steal. But B, the market for renew- for, for feedstocks must be pretty good if people are stealing it uh, from these traps that they can get access from outside the restaurant. Um, you know, your feedstock, when you, when you talk about, let's say, restaurant grease is a feedstock, you're not talking about uh, a feedstock that's going to be generated specifically to make renewable diesel. It's completely a side, a side product. So what is the market looking now for feedstocks? Of course, you can grow more soybeans you know, to make a feedstock. That, that, that happens. But what's the current situation? Are you finding that your supplies of, of feedstock for renewable diesel are holding up there? Yeah. you know, Right now, th- there are more producers coming into the market, so there's more demand for feedstock. <clears throat> but think 
you know, 20 years ago, like you said, McDonald's or someone may actually pay you to take away their used grease because it was waste. Now there's this entire commodities market built around paying them for that product because people like us need it to make fuel. So it's really, it has changed the dynamics of just the waste of grease in general. But think about the petroleum industry. They've had over 100 years to build out that infrastructure and how to move that product. That's fairly new to this feedstock industry. So at this point, it's not like every feedstock source in the country is being touched. You know, we um, we, we purchased some feedstock companies, Mahoney Environmental, um, Agritrading, and Sequential. And those guys, we've helped them grow their footprint, you know, by double or so in a few years. But even then, it's not like every restaurant is being touched. So, you know, right, I think probably in the world right now, 20 to 25 something million tons of feedstock a year. People have identified out to 2030, probably 40 million tons. There's a lot of growth coming just in that feedstock pool. But beyond those wasted residue fats, there's other technologies that, that companies like Nestle are working on as well that are going to use crop waste and forestry waste um, and looking at algae and all these other things down the road. So, you know, when people say I, I, we can't eat enough French fries to fuel this market, I kind of laugh and say, well, that, that's not the point, right? We're going to keep growing beyond that as well. And what's the state of manufacturing? Uh, you mentioned a lot of West Coast operations that are adding plants. Uh, where Where is your manufacturing? Uh, Neste is based in Finland, but I know it has global operations. So the, the, the uh, renewable diesel that you're selling in the U.S., where is it coming from? So what's coming into the U.S. is mostly coming from our Singapore facility. So we're just bringing straight across the Pacific. It's really efficient, actually. Um, for Europe, we do produce fuel in Finland and in the Netherlands and Rotterdam. But we also recently opened a joint venture in California with Marathon Petroleum. And in Martinez, kind of the North San Francisco Bay Area, they had an older facility that they wanted to do a conversion on. So we partnered up 50-50 and, and said, you know, we would like to be the world's biggest producer and, and do it on three continents. So yeah, we'll join you on this. Let, let's do it. And that's currently in phase two of phase three in its ramp-up phase to get up to full volume. Um, but, you know, we're making as much as we can. We're expanding our existing refineries also. And what um, what is will be full volume at Martinez? And let's note that Martinez is down in Southern California, correct near near Los Angeles. Uh, Martinez is is San Francisco. All oh, right, okay. I'm sorry. You're, north, you're right. north side of the bay, right? Um, okay. You know, right now we're making about 3.2 million tons of product a year, and that equates to about a billion gallons. When we get our Singapore expansion done, which is coming up right now, the work is done. We're bringing it online. When the Marathon facility is also fully running. And when our European facilities are done with an expansion in 2026, we're going to grow that 3.2 million tons up to about 6.8. So gallon-wise, we're going from just over a billion gallons to probably 2.3 billion gallons in the next couple of years. Now, this is not all ticketed for California, but are you finding that there are other incentive programs in other parts of the world that are kind of similar to California where you know this, this product can be competitive because of this government support? Yeah, here in the U.S., there are the more voluntary programs. Um, in the the Europe, they have more mandated programs, which can change market dynamics a little. But there are definitely programs in the U.S. and Europe. Canada just put something in place. Um, so more and more of the world are starting to to pick up on this and basically create demand. You know, recently the price of diesel spiked in California relative. Of course, price of diesel spiked everywhere, but it really spiked in California. And you know, on the one hand. You think, well, why wasn't renewable diesel saving it? <laughs> On the other hand, a lot of the renewable diesel, like like I don't know about Martinez, but I know at the Phillips uh, Rodeo refinery, um, they shut the whole refinery and they built a renewable diesel facility, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. And it produces renewable diesel, nice, clean, renewable diesel. 
but it doesn't reduce it at the quantity that it was coming out of petroleum. And so that's still a loss, net loss. So renewable diesel can't necessarily overcome that, correct? Yeah, you know, I not in the near term for sure. You're never going to see a day where every gallon of fossil is replaced by a gallon of renewable diesel. Um, there's just not enough facilities in the world right now that can do that. You know, they take time and a lot of money to build. You can't just flip the switch and turn you know, turn the faucet on and start making more fuel out of some legacy refinery because it does take a lot of technology, whether you're building new or you're doing a conversion. So they, there's going to be a ramp up period in the future for a long time. Um, and like I said, you'll never see a global replacement of all gallons, but we're going to do our best to, to get it everywhere. Matt Luke, the technical manager for Renewable Road Transportation at Neste. He's been our guest today on Drilling Deep. Their renewable diesel product in the U.S. is known as Neste Mai. They are sold all over the place, but uh, particularly on the West Coast, as we've discussed. We want to thank Neste for being a sponsor, Neste and Neste Mai, for being a sponsor of Drilling Deep this month. You have been watching Drilling Deep, where you are part of the Freightcast family of podcasts from Freightwaves. You can find us on all the leading podcast platforms. If you are seeing our faces right now, that means you're watching us on YouTube. If you're just listening to us, you could be on any platform because we're on all of them. I've been your host, John Kingston, and please join us again. This message comes from Neste My Renewable Diesel, a drop-in replacement for fossil fuel that has the power to keep your fleet running at top performance while lowering greenhouse gas emissions compared to fossil diesel. Visit nestemy.com to learn more.